What's going to happen is each of them have got about seven minutes. We'll give them a bit of grace. I won't jump up if they move on to eight, but don't take liberties. And uh, they're going to be speaking from a successive passage in Ephesians chapter 1. So if you've got a Bible, I'm going to read that in a moment. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 to 14. So as they speak, I want to encourage you to be praying for them, that God would just cause to flourish a gift on them, to be praying for ourselves, that God will speak to us. And please do encourage them afterwards and be cheering them on. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, and uh, we're going to be looking at verses 3 to verse 14. Let me just set the scene this is one sentence in the Greek. It's the longest sentence in the Greek in the New Testament. And Paul is simply breathless as he sort of just gushes and overflows celebrating what is ours in Christ Jesus. This is a passage all about who we are and what has been given to us and what has been done for us by the Lord Jesus. And you'll see it begins with praise to God and it ends with praise to God. And in, in it, a bit like a sort of proverbial Blackpool rock, you can see praise found as you sort of work your way through. And the other feature that comes up we'll be hearing about is the fact that it repeatedly talks about in Him. These are the things that we get when we are in Christ Jesus. When we're in Him, all of this is ours, and we can't help but praise. And one last thing, all of it is in the past tense. It's not something we work up to, not something we earn, we merit, we have to pray hard for. It's already been given to us in Christ Jesus. And if we could get hold of this passage, it's like roast beef, or if you're a vegan or vegetarian, nut roast, this is... or tofu roast. It, this is just concentrated goodness of God to us. So that's where we're going this evening. We'll read it, we'll pray, and we'll tuck in. So, Ephesians 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to the adoption of sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kindness of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, that he's freely lavished on us in the beloved. In him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace that he's lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intentions that he purposed in Jesus with a view to the administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ things in the heavens and things on earth, in him also 
we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. To the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Amen? Let's pray. So, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for the truths in your word. Thank you for who you are and who you've made us in you. And so, Lord, we bless our preachers this evening. We bless Zach. We bless Jenny. We bless Nemi. We thank you that you've spoken to them. We thank you that you're going to speak through them. We thank you that you are speaking to us this evening. We pray, anoint your word. Give them peace and joy and fun and meet with us, Lord. Amen. Let's give him a round of applause. Zach's up first. Brilliant. Good evening. My name is Zach Aylett. I'm a primary school teacher just outside of Oxford. Um, I've been at St. Aldates for a few years and started my first year here at Aldates as an intern. Um, so I'm going to start by actually rereading verses 3 to 6. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Now tonight, I will mainly be floating around verse 5, just taking two points from that verse. Throughout these four verses, we see a number of topics. Praise for all the blessings God gives us, being holy and blameless, being chosen, adoption to sonship, and receiving eternal grace. Now, each of these topics, huge themes which could each be expounded on thoroughly, are not only summed up in one key phrase, but they also completely rest on this one key phrase, and that is through Jesus Christ. It's what ties all of this together. So, although there are many routes I could go down after mentioning each of these themes, I'm just going to stick to two, and very briefly at that, adoption to sonship and through Jesus Christ. So, first one, point one, adoption to sonship, or adoption to himself, that is, to the Father. It's Father's Day today, so it's a good time to talk about this idea of being adopted into the Father. My younger brother was adopted. I was seven when we adopted him, and until then, I can remember a sense of the family not quite being complete, and I think that sense was, was shared with my other family members. So we got down the line of adopting him, and I can remember finding it challenging at first. The main reason for this was because on a human level, a seven-year-old level, you're sharing everything. We were closest in age, so 
that was the expectation that was put on me. I was told I'd be sharing everything from my room to all my toys. Seven-year-old me included all the attention I was getting as the youngest and all the love I was getting and already having to share with my other siblings. As you get older, you may start to think about the inheritance you'll have to share or the places you may have to travel to for holidays. I gained a brother when I was seven. He got to experience the love I had experienced from my parents. He had a roof over his head and a family that loved him. I had another brother that loved me. And I saw the way a parent's love is not shared in the way I had imagined it to be shared, but it grows. We get to share an inheritance, which will help his future as well as mine. I say may because my parents could end up giving it all away. Now, take that human understanding of adoption, an understanding with limits, and put that into the perspective that involves the creator of the universe. An inheritance that never runs dry. A grace that never ceases to save you. A blood that never stops covering you. Blessings that never stop coming. A love that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's also important to note that when God brought us into his family, it wasn't from a, a place of feeling a lacking or an incompleteness as though my family had. God's love is so full He's so full of love that by nature he shares, he gives, he welcomes us. We are adopted into the sonship of God, adopted to himself. The next point I want to pull out of this thread is that what I mentioned before, the thread that holds scripture together. And that's this phrase, through Jesus Christ. It is through Jesus Christ that we can, pra we can praise God every single day in every single circumstance for every spiritual blessing. It is through Jesus that we are made holy and blameless in his sight. It is through Jesus that we receive glorious grace. It is through Jesus that we are adopted into sonship. The Old Testament laws are filled with numerous scenarios that require a sin offering. And not just a one-time thing either, but any time a sin was committed. If we had been Israelites, we would have needed to repeat these sacrifices as an act of looking, waiting, and watching for Christ to come. With Jesus, we accept him as an offering of himself in order that we might become right with God. The one true sin offering. A sinless man covers the guilt and shame of everything we've done. We were alienated from the family of God, looking forward to a Savior to undo that divide. Jesus is the way to become right with God. Jesus is the way to eternal life. Jesus is the way to adoption into the family of God, the sonship under God. Do you know him? Do you love him? We hear a false gospel from the world that there is no need for a savior. The world says we choose our destiny, we find our happiness, and we find the happiness in 
doing whatever the heck we want to do. It says, take whatever pill you want to take, drink whatever drink you want to drink, sleep with whoever you want to sleep with, look at whatever you want to look at, because it will fulfill you. Ultimately, it's an act of looking for something more, looking for something that will fill us, looking for love. It's simply wrong. The world will numb you. Numb you enough to not consider the need for a savior. Numb you enough to keep your mind off of what will happen next after this world. Numb you enough to not understand what true love looks like. What God's love looks like. This world is full of false promises. False fulfillment. It will numb you. My younger brother was brought into my family. Brought into a family that loves him and cherishes him so dearly. God offers the way into the family. A way to come in from the outside in order that you may know real love and real belonging. God offers fulfillment. God offers eternal life with himself, with his love. God offers a chance to live holy and blameless in his sight through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus we see God. Through Jesus, we know God. The way a perfect father knows his son, the way a son knows his perfect father. Do you know him? Do you love him? Praise him and worship him, for he is good. He is worthy to be praised forever and always. Amen. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Zach. The world will numb you. What it offers you will just numb you. But Jesus will die for you, has done, and the Father adopts you. What are you which are you going to choose? Beautiful. Thanks, Zach. Now, round of applause, Jenny. Hi, yeah, as Simon said, I'm Jenny. I've been calling St. Aldate's home since I was a student, uh, and Simon was leading the student ministry. Uh, I'm married to James, and I work in communications for a mission organization. So I'm also going to read the few verses that I'm focusing on. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. On opening up this passage, I have to admit to being a bit daunted. There's a lot of richness to unpack here from Paul, and uh, only seven minutes didn't seem very long. And who am I to be exploring the mystery of God's will? Um, yeah, the beauty of God is that he answers our questions and our doubts. In this case, within the verses right in front of me. For the starting point in this passage is not my assessment of myself. It's not even me at all. The starting point is all about God and what he has done. Through him, I am redeemed, I'm forgiven, lavished with mercy, and part of his purpose. In these verses, Paul reminds the Ephesians, and in turn us, of the wonder of what God has done. 
It's from this grounding that Paul writes of God's purposes and our place within them. In the light of all that God has done, we're invited to participate in his plan and to glimpse the transformation he will bring. So, what has God done? Uh, Throughout the verses, God is the subject of the verbs. He's the one doing the action. So it seems he's done quite a lot. In him we have redemption. He's paid a price to set us free. This has been achieved through the blood of Jesus, who paid that price. In him we have the forgiveness of sins. It's God who has dealt with the root of our separation from him. And this is all part of God's grace. We see that God is generous and gracious, lavishing us with these riches. It's not a grumpy forgiveness. It's not a grudging paying up because we messed up again. It's the excessive and overflowing generosity of a God who loves us. So from this foundation of remembering who is at work and all God has done through Jesus, what comes next? He has made known to us the mystery of his will. Nothing too big to get our heads around then. Um, And then it goes on to tell us it's in God's good pleasure that he makes his will known. He delights in bringing us into his purpose. He isn't just finding a space where we can get involved but not do any harm. When I first read this section, the word mystery jumped out to me and seemed appropriate. I don't know about you, but it can often feel to me that God's purpose, God's will, is a mystery that I'm not going to understand this side of heaven. But the verses tell us God has made known this mystery. And I think it becomes clearer as we read on. Verse 10 tells us God's will is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. What an image of reconciliation, of healing, of the bringing together of the whole of creation. And it seems reminiscent of something perhaps of the kingdom of God that Jesus spends his ministry talking about and tells us that is near. So how has the mystery of God's will been made known? Through Jesus. That might be the cliched Sunday school answer. But it's true. It is in Jesus that we see the will of God being lived out. Throughout the Gospels, we see signposts from Jesus of what the kingdom is like, what this new creation that is both near and not yet here will be like. This is our blueprint, and sometimes that might be principles rather than all of us spending our days looking for sheep, for example, but it's very much a glimpse of God's good plan. So reaching that point, I had a further question. What, if anything, am I meant to do with this knowledge? What am I meant to do with this will made known to me? Our primary response, I think, is to lift our gaze with Paul and worship. But I think there is also an invitation to action. We have been shown God's purpose. Are we going to keep it to ourselves? We're invited to see the plan that is unfolding, that great story arc of scripture, and to see our part in it, to see that all things will be brought together under Jesus, that reconciliation will come to broken places and people, to be part of seeing 
the seeds of the kingdom growing in the here and now. Eugene Peterson, in his introduction to Ephesians in the message, writes of how, in addition to having this work done in and for us, we are participants in this most urgent work. But do you feel maybe unqualified or miles from being able to be part of God's purpose? Let's go back to the start of the passage. Are you equipped or qualified alone? No. But in him, through God's power and purpose, through the forgiveness and redemption poured, overflowing and lavish in Jesus, through the power of Jesus, that changes the game. And you aren't being invited to devise and execute a plan for the transformation of the world. God has already done that. Um, as I mentioned, I work for a mission organization, and one of the phrases that gets mentioned a lot is the missio day, the mission of God. It's a helpful reminder that we are participants in God's mission. We are not the directors. So what does it look like to step into God's purpose? It means bringing that grace that God has lavished on you into your everyday life to see through your actions and choices, big and small, through your words and your deeds, glimpses of and steps towards a promised future when all creation will come together under Jesus. As we consider these verses from Paul's outpouring of praise, our gaze is lifted and our eyes focused onto Jesus. Anything and everything that we do is to come from this place of worship. This is the starting point for our participation in God's purpose, for our sharing of good news, and for us being part of the reconciliation of all things. Does that sound more like something you could do? Knowing that there is grace to be lavished on you if you do get it wrong. I just invite you to ask God, now or later in this service, to tell or show you how you can join in. It won't be one size fits all. It might be unexpected. But whether you've been following Jesus for years or have only just started considering it, you are invited to look up and be part of that adventure. It's good, isn't it, this? We should do this more often. God does not give grudgingly. And all those things he's done, revealing his plan and pour, lavishing, what a great word that is, underline that in your Bible. He doesn't give his goodness with a pipette. He lavishes it. It's not grudging. It pours out upon us. And when we get that, we join in with what he's doing and it overflows from us into the world. Fantastic stuff. Nemi. Let's welcome Nemi. Oops. Oops, whoops. Hello, everyone. Good evening, 6 o'clock family. I'm really excited to be here. I'll be sharing from Ephesians 1, 11 to 14. I'll just read that quickly. In him we're also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And you, who were also included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, 
the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So, little fun fact about me, I grew up wanting to be Janet Jackson, and I have been looking forward to wearing one of these mics, so thank you for making my dreams come true. And I spent some of my afternoons like wearing the mic and singing into a fan. I don't know if anyone else did that, but just so you know, singing into a fan is really fun. Um, another fun thing I enjoyed doing growing up was watching WWE WrestleMania. So when I heard about preaching, I'm like, I'm, I'm nervous, but I'm down. So I got a t-shirt, which is really extra, but you know, <laughs> it's, it, it's really fun. But in this scripture, what we see here is this, this, this tag team of the Trinity. So God the Father comes in. He chooses us. He predestines us in this beautiful tapestry where our redemption and salvation is already orchestrated before we come into the picture. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned and they plunged us into the cycle of death, God didn't panic. He already planned to redeem us. And he told the prophet um, Jeremiah, or prophet Jerry, before you knew your mother's womb, I knew you. God knew us. He chose us before even the world began. And we see a lot of this imagery of this redemption through Jesus throughout the Old Testament, from an animal being killed to cover Adam and Eve's nakedness to the, um, you know, the blood of the lamb being used to deliver the children of Israel during the first Passover. And in Revelation 13, verse 8, it talks, I mean, this is not the Old Testament, but it talks about a lamb being slain from the foundations of the earth. This, the point I'm trying to make here is that God loves us, he chose us, and we were not an afterthought. And then the father tags the son, and Jesus Christ comes into the ring as this pure and blameless lamb who pays the price for our sin with his blood and brings us back into alignment with the plan, unity with the father. And we actually see this in the way the church was birthed. So Adam was put to sleep and, you know, his bride Eve was pulled from his side. And then we see, we just, we just see, you see the imagery with Jesus, you know, dying on the cross, his piercing the sides and the church being birthed from his, from his death and his resurrection. Again, this is just, this is a, just another picture that God's choosing, you know, choosing us and his plan for us was not an afterthought. And then... Jesus tags in the Holy Spirit, and he comes into the ring, and he seals us till creation is redeemed at the end of time. And that is where I just really want to explore today. That's where I would like to camp, the seal of the Holy Spirit. What is it? What does it look like? And how does it affect my life today, really? And verse 13 says, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. The seal in this verse I think it was referring to a stamp, like a signet, like a private mark that was used for security, preservation, and as authenticity. Some, some people use it for identity. And way back when, you know, people would write a letter and pour wax in the letter and use the signet ring to stamp it. And again, this showed authenticity. It showed who the letter was from, and it just prevented people from tampering with it. So, Another little fun fact about me, I'm really into period Korean dramas on Netflix. I do recommend. And um, in the Joseon dynasty, 
when a king is ordained, he's, he's handed the seal, and the seal carries as much authority as a decree from the king. It, it signified his approval, and when he would send a representative out, he would give them the seal, and the seal carried his ultimate authority. Everything stamped by the seal represented the king. And we can see like, a little bit of this in the book of Esther. But this is a stamp that Paul was referring to here. He would also, I just also want to explore the whole thing about a seal being like a, the preservative nature of a seal. Like when you seal something, it's preserved. That's what I want to explore today. I do believe that the Holy Spirit is not just you know, on our hearts as a stamp of approval that we are chosen, we are redeemed, we're endued with authority from God. But I also believe that the Holy Spirit's seal on our heart is meant to, is meant to preserve us till this tapestry, this thing God is weaving together comes, comes full circle and comes into fruition at the end of time. Now, in the last year, we, we've all come face to face with our weaknesses, our mortality, our freedoms have been taken, and you mean the freedom day that we're all looking forward to seemed to elude us. It's like a wind has blown and has shaken everything, you know, that can be shaken in our lives. And I believe this is where the Holy Spirit's work as, as a preservative seal comes into play in our lives. Jesus first introduces the Holy Spirit as a comforter. And we know the fruits of the Holy Spirit to be joy, peace, patience, endurance, and anything that is stamped with a seal will have the attributes of the person that stamped it. So, you know, signet rings, which was usually used in the seals, have a family crest. I mean, Simon's wearing one. And this crest will hold in it information, attributes of the stamp owner. I believe the seal of the Holy Spirit is meant to not just guarantee and preserve us, but it holds in it the power, the approval, the gifts, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So how does that really affect us today? I'll tell you a quick story. Um, before this lockdown, I went through a season of personal lockdown. I got diagnosed with an autoimmune condition. As a result of that, I was in constant pain. I was on lots of opioids. I found myself in this season of lockdown. Um, I came face to face with my mortality, uh, my weaknesses, my fears. The sickness took away my freedom. I, I couldn't leave the house. I was, I was in so much pain, I was pretty much bed-bound. And I started questioning my faith. Like, why am I really here? What is the point of anything? I understood that I was chosen, I was redeemed, but like, my reality was just, I was really struggling. And I believe that, I believe that one thing that really kept me, that is responsible for me actually standing here today is the seal of the Holy Spirit. Now, in that place of questions, I, I, I encountered the Comforter. I experienced his joy, his peace in the middle of very challenging times. I believe the seal, this gift, these blessings are available to every believer in him, in Jesus. It has been said a lot today. But I, I, I do not think the Holy Spirit is going to put him in a chokehold like Dwayne Johnson or Hulk Hogan and force his peace, force his joy. You know, he's not going to force, he's not going to force any. You have to be willing to accept the work that he's done. So I've got three practical, easy ways for you to do that. And the first one is praying in the Holy Spirit. If you can't pray in tongues, we can fix that. We have a wonderful prayer minister team. 
they will help you at the end. And if you're like, well, it's a bit weird, well, like Christopher Landau has a talk on our website. You just put praying in tongues, Christopher Landau, a pop-up. And yeah, he, well, he sort of breaks it down and teaches you. And I do stand by Christopher and say, please don't go down the Mr. Bushi, sorry, don't go down the Japanese brand name, so the Honda Shonda Mr. Bushi Kawasaki, no, for tongues. Just watch the talk, and he's going to sort of guide you how to, you know, how to do that. The next thing is to spend time in worship. So we have great worship resources on our website, and the Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. So when you spend time in worship, you learn to host the presence of God. And the Bible also says in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. So by, by, by spending time in worship and hosting the presence of God, you get to experience the, the joy, the peace, and the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Another thing that's really helpful is spending time in the Word. The Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible. Jesus called him the Spirit of truth and said he will lead you into all truth. I do think it's important not to read the Bible like a textbook, unless you're studying it, and, or just to get the tick on your app and just so they can you know, get, make sure that your streak, you get your, your reading streaks and you're like, yay! But to read it with intention and listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying. Now, after the crazy year we've all had, I do believe the Holy Spirit is available and is willing to seal our hearts, to affirm our identity in Christ, to preserve us, to comfort us, and to fill us with his joy, his peace, and his hope in the middle of all circumstances. And I pray, I pray for everyone here that would encounter and experience him more in a different way in our lives in the coming days. In Jesus' name. Amen. Nemi, fantastic. Thanks so much for all you put into that. I love that image of the Trinity. After 30 years of minister, I've never heard that one used of the Trinity, but the divine tag team who goes into the ring to wrestle for us. I love it. I'm going to use it next Trinity Sunday. And I love that, the seal of his approval. I've never heard it put like that. The seal of his approval is the spirit who also brings his predicates and attributes. What a wonderful thing. Guys, thank you so much. We really appreciate all that you put into that and that you brought to us from your preparation and seeking after God. And God has spoken to us through all of you. So thank you.